I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the V-Fest to my Glastonbury. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? The transfer window is bubbling open now. It's suddenly all started kicking off. We were complaining not too long ago about it being very quiet in the transfer window. Are you getting to grips with everything that's going on or is it a bit overwhelming? <laughs> not overwhelming yet. Yeah. It's usually, I guess, the overwhelming... Uh, period in transfer windows the week leading up to the deadline isn't it it's when clubs mm. leave everything to the last minute when they should be getting their business done now this is when it should be fraught and frantic and stressful because you'd expect teams to be in a rush to get players in for pre-season but no no leave it to the last minute it's like basically like me with any task in the house or any task I do for work I just leave it to the last minute put myself under a lot of stress and lose hair over it which is is, is visibly there, it's, it's happening. Yeah, that, that explains it. It's like mm. homework, isn't it? Just leave it to the last minute, and that's exactly yeah. what a lot of clubs seem and, to do for some reason. And, like homework, if you leave it to the last minute, it's pretty shit. So if you leave your transfers to the last minute, they're pretty shit. Yeah, yeah, I suppose you're right. I can't, I may be completely wrong when I say this, but I can't recall too many last-minute deals which ended up being excellent bits of business so you're probably onto something there um but yeah it's good that we're finally seeing some business because i was getting a bit worried about whether we'd actually be able to fill an episode with the lack of business that was happening yeah we could we could just be talking about two transfers that happened for the next half an hour but luckily teams have been filling their boots and as i say it's a good time to do it so well done those teams we're going to be talking about over the next however long it's going to take to talk about them Absolutely. Well, in that case, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, this is your weekly news roundup of everything going on in the championship. And it's mainly transfer news this week. So we'll go through all the transfer business that's happened over the past week. We'll also talk a bit about the latest managerial situations at Sheffield Wednesday and Leeds and a couple of other bits and pieces as well before finishing off with a little game of Scott High or Ryan Lowe right at the end. So you've got that to look forward to. But let's kick things off with Leicester City who have really got going with their transfer dealings. Multiple sources say Connor Cody is set to sign after a £7.5 million fee was agreed with Wolves. Leicester will pay an extra million if they get promoted. A big move, Justin. What do you think of this one? Well, when I saw it, I thought, well, actually, that's quite a smart move. That's a good, a good, uh, a good transfer. You get an experienced player. He's notably a leader so that's a, a big a big um, a big asset to have in your squad and he's, he's a very popular member of most of the teams he's been in I think the only reason why he went to the he went to the World Cup didn't he with with, with England I think the yep. only reason why I was there or the Euros as well is because he was very popular amongst the squad he didn't get many uh, many minutes so there's there's that aspect then I saw the fee and I was like that made me wince a little bit um, there's the fee aspect of it I'm a little bit uncomfortable with because you're getting a player who's probably on his way down the football pyramid as opposed to staying in the, the Premier League. And if I was to you know, criticise him even more, he didn't have the best of seasons with Everton. And from a Leicester City perspective, looking a little bit deeper, he thrived at Wolves in the centre of a back three. He was at his best in the middle of that back three alongside Willy Bowley, Romain Sice. Harry Souter is more comfortable in that role. They paid a big fee for him not too long ago and he's probably got more potential. Whether or not he fits into Maresca's style of plays is another question. But he's he's a he, for me, he's a central figure in that back three. So 
there's a few question marks there, but nonetheless, I do think Cody is a um, a good signing from a, a skill set point of view. But fee wise, I certainly think they can do better. I agree with most of that, Justin, particularly the suitor bit, um, which I think is a very good point to make, and especially the fee as well. Now, I'm sure people will look at this move and think, "Wow, Connor Cody in the championship—that is a great signing." I'm not sure it is. First of all, I don't think spending that much money on a 30-year-old is good business. It would have to be an extraordinarily talented player to justify that much on someone of that age for me. But we're talking about a guy who's coming off the back of a season where he fell out of favour at a side who just stayed up and chose not to sign him. And when he has played, the underlying data from last season did not indicate that he was playing well. And in fact, it's the same with the season before as well, despite playing regularly with Wolves uh, last uh, the season before last. Certainly at Premier League level, I believe his best days are behind him. Now, I get what he brings to Leicester in terms of leadership, experience, but I think they've grossly overpaid for him considering his age and his performances last season. I would have much preferred if they invested the money in a younger player who could do them a job if they get promoted to the Premier League. Someone like Taylor Harwood-Bellis, for example, would have probably cost a bit more than £7.5 but would be worth the investment if he would be willing to drop down to the Championship again. Or even Ben Wilmot at Stoke. That's what I'd be looking at to do anyway. Just get someone who... You could sell on for a bigger fee later down the line, or at least would serve more of a lengthy timeline than Connor Cody would do. Can I just point out as well, I don't know if Johnny Evans has signed a new deal yet. I can't see any confirmation. I've not found any confirmation of it yet. Um, but if he does, a potential back three, I know what else is there, but a potential back three of Johnny Evans, Harry Souter and Connor Cody doesn't scream pace to me. So if Maresca is mm. wanting to operate a high line with a high pressing system, He's going to struggle to do that with those with those three players. Um, so I'd expect some more movement. I mean, depending on what formation he wants to play, of course, whether it's a back three or back two, I don't know. Back two signing Connor Cody doesn't make any sense because he's not a he's not a centre he's not a natural centre half to play in a back two. Um, but that's besides the point. As I say, back three of those of those three players very very slow, and that does that does concern me. Yeah, and following on from that point you've got to play a back three really with Connor Cody haven't you yeah. and going back to your earlier point about Harry Souter Harry Souter was marvellous for Stoke when he was playing at the centre of the back three doing these quarterback style balls Connor Cody is essentially the same and I completely agree with you you've got more potential there with Souter and they paid a lot of money for him in the first place so you may as well nurture what talent you've got there and I don't think Connor Cody necessarily improves on the players who are already there. Admittedly, mm. Leicester need to sign more centre-halves because they're quite thin on the ground in that department. But I'm not sure seven and a half million on a fading Connor Cody who's ageing as well is necessarily good business. Meanwhile, Harry Winks looks set to be joining Cody at the King Power. Numerous sources are reporting he's set to have a medical after Leicester agreed a £10 million fee with Spurs. Do you like this one, Justin? I do. I do like this one. I think Harry Winks is one of those players who's quite undervalued in terms of how he, how he plays. Um, looking back at his stats throughout his career prior to this, remarkably, his past successions never dropped below 85% in his entire career. Which, considering he's played for a variety of managers, whether that be Pochettino, Mourinho, um, you know, there's 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 forward thinking managers, there's defensive style managers. He's always been a tidy passer with the ball, so you can see what Maresca's thinking in terms of how he wants to play. He wants a, an operator in that midfield who's who's going to keep possession, who's going to keep play ticking over, and Harry Wicks is going to bring that. Doesn't bring goals or assists. He's not going to play um, uh, line breaking passes, but he is going to ensure that Leicester control games which is which is highly important blew my mind a little bit that he was um, 27 he probably should have left Spurs a long time ago to get some more first team football and fulfill that potential that he had earlier on in his career but I think this is a, a smart move again 10 million pound fee quite a lot of money um, you know just you know we just bring up that argument about FFP not FFP sorry um, parachute payments but again it's a debate for another day and they've got that cushion so they they need to spend it and they need to revitalize the squad and I think Harry Winks is a good signing to do that. 
yeah, I'm so much more of a fan of this one than I am with the Cody signing. I think when Harry Winks was playing fairly regularly at Spurs, he was one of the most underappreciated underappreciated players in the country. Now, of course, he was sent out on loan last season, didn't have a great spell with Sampdoria in Italy, but he wasn't really an Antonio Conte player, so it's no surprise that he did go out the door and there could be plenty of reasons why that loan didn't work out. We have got to remember, Gareth Southgate at one point was talking about building the team around mm-hmm. Harry Winks with England and that just shows how talented a player he was and that player will still be in there assuming Enzo Maresco wants to play the ball on the ground considering he's Guardiola's mate. I'd be surprised if he doesn't. Winks could be the important cog in the system. He could be the one who makes everything tick and I feel as if they have slightly overpaid with him at 10 million however he is still only 27 you could get at least six years out of him and personally I think he should still be playing in the Premier League where I'm not so sure with Cody anymore so he could be ridiculously good in the championship especially considering how good he was before Mm -hmm. well you consider the impact Ollie Norwood had at Sheffield United he's a player who doesn't necessarily um, he's not a highlight really in terms of goals and assists but his importance in that team is, is so, so big and massive. And I think Harry Winks can, you know, just for a championship fan, for a bit of perspective, I think Harry Winks can fill a similar role. He's he's a player who, again, he can get about the pitch as well, which is really important. Again, regaining possession and, and, and keeping it ticking over. So, yeah, I think it's a, a smart signing. I agree with you that they may be overpaid for him, but when you need players in there to, to control games of football, which Leicester will likely do, and they're going to have teams sitting back against them as well, Having a cool head in possession is gonna is gonna help that, um, and I think Harry Winks is yeah he fills that he fills that void massively. Absolutely, heading out the door at Leicester is James Madison. Spurs have signed him for forty million pounds. Not got anything to do with the Winks deal, although that would have made sense. It's like oh you paid for the taxi, I'll get you a drink, mate. Although you wouldn't know anything about that, would you, Justin? I think forty million for Madison oh. is quite good value for Spurs. I thought Leicester would get bit more than that although maybe his value yeah. drops after he gets relegated it's a good point how does Daniel Levy continuously rip clubs off in terms of the players that sign for him but he gets good deals like this this is it's because he's must, got that nose Justin he, it's, there's a reason why Daniel Levy is the successful businessman that he is <laughs> yeah. because he sniffs out any cut price that he can do and he's That's clearly incredible. done the same here yeah, it's, it's, it's bonkers, really, because it is, it is a really good value for money signing, considering Madison's numbers for a team that struggled for a couple of seasons. So, yeah, to, I mean, to be fair, I've not consi- I've not given any consideration for Madison in terms of Leicester and the impact it will have on Leicester's season. Anything I've predicted or suggested about Leicester has been without thinking Madison will be there. It's been a given that he's, he's yeah. going to be on his way. Um, but you have to say, yeah, it's an incredible deal for Spurs. And yeah, Leicester get a big, big water cash which is helpful but 10 million of that's now gone on Harry Winks and 7 million of that has gone on Connor Cody so it doesn't leave you too much too much else to spend 23 million on quite a few more players they need hmm. yeah half of that Madison fee already splashed hmm. out on two players hmm. I'll have to see how else guys out the door I imagine Harvey Barnes may fetch a big fee if he does go which I'd be surprised if he doesn't let's move on from Leicester Tomins has joined Watford from Reading for £50,000 he's agreed a two-year deal with the option of a further year now Justin you were bigging him up in our top 20 championship players of all time list which led to a bit of a backlash on social media but what do you think of this move to get the 16th best player of all time in a championship for 50k is the greatest deal (laughs) In the history of deals, just talking Please about Daniel Levy, you're exaggerating. <laughs> just talking about Daniel Levy sniffing out good deals. Come on, Watford, this is incredible. Um, <laughs> I can't no, it, tell it, right now if you're being serious <laughs> or not. There, there's a bit of jest there. I do highly rate Tomins, and um, to uh, again some seriousness to get a player who's managed 150 goals and assists or goal contributions to be clearer in the Championship for fifty thousand pounds. I know he's 31, but he showed at Reading last season. He can still produce for 50k. is is a very smart, a, a very smart deal. And I think this lends into my argument as to why I rate him so highly. Um, he's he's a player who I think has been undervalued. And I think if his his name wasn't Ince, um, he'd be 
a much more appreciated player across the board. Um, but last season, nine goals and four assists in a team that got relegated is a decent return. And we saw how Paul Lintz effectively shut up shop from January onwards, limiting what you can do as an attacker. And Tomlin still produced the goods. I think he's quite impressive. And I think the thing that impresses me about him actually looking at his stats in a bit more detail, he averaged 1.7 tackles per game, which shows that he's getting stuck in. That was last season, by the way. It shows that he's getting stuck in. Not impressive numbers by any means, but for an attacker and for attack for an attacker who's been labelled lazy and doesn't cut his weight in a team, um, I think he's unfair because he's showing, especially last season at Reading, that he can he can do it. And Huddersfield fans will will agree as well that he does he has produced a high work rate in recent years. So, yeah, I think Watford have, uh, it's it's a smart signing. What impact he has on the first team, I don't know. But if you've got a player of that quality in your squad, it's 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 a good deal. I think fifty thousand pounds is undeniably good value. It's low risk. My question is, is he the kind of calibre player that Watford should be signing? He's a very good signing for a bottom half championship side, but for a side aiming for a playoff finish at the, at the very least, I'm not sure. The fact is, Tom Ince has not been the same player that he was for six years now. And the one play, the one season where he's played a lot better was while playing for his dad. I don't think that's a coincidence. So unless Watford fancy getting Paul in, then I don't <laughs> think this will be a success. He could be a very decent squad player for them, but it's not a move which will amount to much in my view. Let's move on to West Brom, who have sold defender Dar O'Shea to Burnley for £7 million. The 24-year-old was a key player for the Albion last season. Big loss, Justin. I think West Brom had to accept this offer with their financial situation, didn't they? Dar O'Shea is mm -hmm. their most sellable asset. And with the club's financial situation, what with the loans and what have you, the money is important to helping that. It doesn't solve the issue by any means, but it certainly helps. What's it mean on the pitch? Well, without a doubt, a big loss. They're looking very weak at centre-half now. Cal Bartley's not getting any younger. Struggled with injury quite a bit last season. Eric Peters did all right last season, but is a fullback by trade and was helped by playing next to a top-quality centre-half in Dara O'Shea. Sammy Ajayi's all right, but I'm not sure he's up to the standard of playing every week for a side aiming for the top six. So they've got to bring someone else in, probably at least two centre-halves, actually. Will any, will any of them be as good as Dara O'Shea? Highly doubt it. Well, I do doubt that. Um, I mean, I think you forgot Cedric Kipre as well. He's, I mean, he had a good spell at Cardiff, a decent spell at Cardiff. Yeah. So whether he comes in and fills that void, I don't know. To be he, honest, he, I kind of just assumed he'd be heading out the door. Yeah, well, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, it's, it's a fair assumption. Um, it's a, it is a big hole for, for West Brom. Not only was Star O'Shea composed, not only was he a good defender, he was, he was a leader as well. He, he developed into a leader and, um, to lose a player of that calibre is, is massive but as you say West Brom needed the money they were so desperate for the money he had an £8 million release clause in his contracts and Burnley paid seven because West Brom were desperate to get the deal over the line so <laughs> it does show you how how not desperate their situation is but how uh, how much they need to circumvent it but again to lose a player of that calibre is significant and it does weaken them it doesn't strengthen them and I don't know how much of that money they can utilise to reinvest into their squad I'd imagine it's very little, Justin. Yeah, the assumption would be very little. So, yeah, it leaves them with a, a bit of a, a bit of a conundrum. And Carlos Corbran scratching his head, scratching his head as to how to to get around it and, and improve his squad. Because um, again, free agent wise, you're not going to get a player of Darroche's calibre. Maybe you can find someone who's good, um, but for, for from them, it's a it's a deal they needed to do. That's the easiest way to describe it. Yeah, well, the, the biggest hope would be getting someone on loan who ends up having, you know, really stepping up and being fantastic for them next season. But that's still going to be very hard to find in itself. Let's go over from the black country in the West Midlands to the other bit of the West Midlands. Birmingham is set to announce the signing of Christian Bielik from Derby. According to The Telegraph, he's expected to be moving for around a million pounds. We're both fans of Bielik, aren't we, Justin? Yeah, I'm that Bart Simpson meme at the moment. You know, he's clenching his. Oh, no, it's not Bart Simpson. It's Arthur. It's Arthur, the uh, the hamster thing. You know, he's clenching his fist. 
just in frustration, just because from a dog. Hell is Arthur. Arthur oh, Hamster. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Right, you mean Arthur hey, the what TV a wonder- show? Yeah. I thought you meant yeah, Arthur yeah. in The Simpsons. I was like, who the hell is Arthur? No, no, no. Yeah, got getting my uh, animated TV shows. Yeah. Hey, what a wonderful kind of day that guy. Um. <laughs> Is exactly what Birmingham will be saying after this. <laughs> exactly, deal. exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm that meme at the moment. Just because at one million pound fee, such a steal for Christian Bielik. I know his his knees uh, um, leave a lot to be desired, but he showed last season that he can he, he can play consistently, and he, he hopefully shrugged off that those problems he had at Derby. Um, it is it is a case of what player he could have been for for, for Derby, but Birmingham and Eustace getting. Bielik, who we know can have the potential to be the best holding midfielder in the division if he's got the players around him to help him succeed. Um, so yeah, what a what a transfer for um, for, for Birmingham. You can't understate how how big this pos- potentially is. It's really really good business, and um, yeah, it's, it's a deal that works for all parties. Bielik's back in a championship permanently. Birmingham get a very 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 good player, an incredibly good player, uh, and Derby get a lot of wages off their books. Well, Birmingham managed to break the Bielik curse, didn't they? Which mm. meant he couldn't go a whole season without having a serious injury. But it is great news. If he stays fit, he's the best ball-winning midfielder in the division, in my eyes, hands down. Unfortunately, that has been a big if with Bielik. But it looks like his darkest days are behind him, touch wood. An excellent signing for around a million as well. Keep in mind, Derby paid something around eight million for him. It's mm-hmm. an absolute bargain. 25 years old as well. I can't believe more clubs weren't in for him, to be honest. Considering the club have been so poorly run under BSHL as well, got to be said, they've done some unbelievable business in the last year. Bielik for a million, Chong for around a million, Tyler Roberts for less than a million this window, Koji Miyoshi from Royal Antwerp on a free. Very impressive stuff, but Bielik could be the you know, the crown jewel in those signings because I just rate him so highly and I think for around a million for his age as well. Fitness is the big thing, but if they manage to to keep him fit, then a sublime signing. Yeah, I know this isn't the the episode to do it, but if they continue this trend of improving the squad the way they are and with John Eustace at the helm, could they be an outsider for a top half, maybe a playoff? push because improving their squad is as well as they are I'm really impressed with them at the moment they are in such a good position well I I was thinking the same Justin I was thinking the same that if they continue this trend of the business they've done Chunk has been linked with a move away is worth pointing Mm. out but their business has been incredible recently and if it does continue they do need to sign probably two or three or more for that to be a serious thing but I've been so impressed that it wouldn't surprise me if they were looking more towards that end of the table compared to where they have finished in the yeah. last you know, six years or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's move on. Ipswich have signed midfielder Jack Taylor from Peterborough for a reported fee of £1.5 million. Justin is already pulling a face that says that's a good move. The 25-year-old has agreed a three-year deal and is town's first signing of the summer. Peterborough chairman Dara McCantony has been bigging up Mr Taylor, saying he will propel Ipswich on a Premier League promotion push. The rest of the championship, you fucked up again, like with the Ivan Tony deal when you could have had him uh, when you could have come in and you didn't. Um, so he's a fan of this move, Justin. What do you think of it? I'm not I'm not that much of a fan of it. I mean, Darren McCantony, I guess, from a PR perspective, he's got to pick up that player. But it is it is a really, really smart move from Ipswich. I think central midfield, if you were to label any weaknesses with that team last season, was, was probably central midfield. But they had good workhorses in there. But Jack Taylor is a player who can grab goals. He's a box-to-box player. Um, he can operate in a high press. He's been playing for an attacking team in Peterborough for the last couple of seasons. It's such a smart move, such a smart move. And I do think Darren McCantony is on the right lines by saying quite a lot of teams in the Championship should have been chasing him. I'd, I think he would maybe would have been hoping for a bidding war for him and other other teams coming in and, and hiking up that price a little bit, but they didn't. Um, and it was which got him from a, a bit of a steal really at one and a half million pounds, 25 years old. He's going to get better. Um, and I, I think he's going to put Ipswich in that category. He's going to help Ipswich put in that category of, of push for push for promotion this season. And I think it's a really really smart signing, and I think yeah, a lot of teams a lot of teams have missed out on him. Yeah, I think Mr. McAntony is right 
to an extent, a really <laughs> exciting signing. I'm not sure he'll single-handedly lead Ipswich on a promotion mm. push like Darren McAntony seemed to insinuate, but he will be a massive player for Ipswich. He was without a doubt Peterborough's best player last season and one of the best midfielders in the division, maybe even the best. He's this all-round player who really does a bit of everything in the park, winning the ball back, running at defenders, playing passes from deep, playing through balls. Also likes to score the occasional worldie as well. His goals catalogue over the past few years is pretty astounding. He's got nine goals and six assists last season. Most of that was from playing as a number eight. Plus, he's only 25. So Ipswich have him for his prime years, you'd expect. So this could very well be an excellent bit of business. And we were expecting Ipswich to have a really exciting transfer window in itself anyway, weren't we, this summer? Mm-hmm. This is a fantastic start to that window. So it's very exciting to see who else comes through the door. QPR have re-signed forward Paul Smith. The 25-year-old scored 10 goals in 42 appearances last season for Leighton Orient as they won the League 2 title. He was at Loftus Road between 2017 and 2021 and has agreed a three-year contract. I've been umming and ahhing over whether I think this is a good signing, Justin. I'm not really sure. In the first half of last season with Orient, he was one of the best players in League Two, possibly even the best, scoring nine in 22 games. He was electric playing on the left or the right. Second half of the season, he dropped off and only scored one in 18. Now, he's an exciting player. I've watched a fair bit of him. He's an excellent dribbler, really quick, hard worker, capable of scoring from distance. He's this real kind of flair player that which QPR are lacking in fairness having said that it's a big step up from playing against League 2 defenders to championship defenders especially when he wasn't as influential in the most recent half of the season so I'm not sure I wouldn't say I'm too impressed by this one uh, yeah, I, I do agree. I think he's one of those players who, if you put him in a system that Ainsworth is likely to deploy, where it's fairly limited, um, where you're going to be wanting players to chase second balls a lot, and you've got a player with Paul Smith's um, attributes, where he's, he's quick, he's he's he's, he's good at operating, in, good at operating in a final third, he's good at chasing those loose balls, um, then he's probably going to be a form of success. How much of a success, I don't know. If you compare him to like Sevilius, Chair and Chris Willick already at QPR on a technical level, he's a massive downgrade. But as I was mentioning, you need players who are going to buy into that system. I think Paul Smith's going to buy into that system. It's just whether or not he's good enough for that step up into the championship. We saw Brandon Thomas-Sante last season make the step up from Salford in League Two to the championship. There was a, a bedding in period and there was some inconsistency. But for a large part, he had a fairly decent season. Don't think Paul Smith has the same qualities that Brandon Thomas Asante does, but whether he might have the mindset to do it, I don't know. There's there's some potential there, but like you, I sit on the fence with it as to whether or not it's a, it's a good signing. Good, maybe a good squad squad signing, um, but is he a Championship standard player? I don't know at this point. He needs he needs games for me to to to, to really pass judgment on him, but. Yeah, I mean, it tells you where QPR are at at the moment, doesn't it, in terms of attracting players and where Gareth Ainsworth wants to dip into as well in terms of the market. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll go through the rest of the transfer news from the past week and finish off with any other business. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast and we're going through all the transfer business and kind of just championship news in general from the past week and we've still got plenty more transfer business to go through so we'll carry on that train. Justin Preston have confirmed Daniel Johnson will be leaving the club on a free this summer. He signed for £50,000 in 2015 and has gone on to make more than 300 appearances for the Lily Whites. I mean, what a signing he's turned out to be. Just in £50,000 is just, in terms of modern day standards, is, is an absolute bargain, isn't it? It is. It really is. I don't think you get that quality of player at the age he was. Um, I know Watford have signed Tom. It's for £50,000. 
But when you consider the age profile of Daniel Johnson at the time, yeah, it was it was great. And the service he's given to Preston has been has been outstanding. So for him to want to leave for a new challenge, uh, it's completely fair. It's a massive blow for Preston because they lose a player who has been so influential for them over the years. And um, I know he had a bit of a dip in form last season, but he has mostly backed up the goods. Really good penalty taker as well. Really good penalty penalty taker. When you've got Paul Gallagher on your books and Daniel Johnson, it's a fairly fairly good duo to have in terms of taking penalties. I know Gallagher retired a while ago, but yeah, to have them two on the books at the same time at one point, yeah, penalty shootouts were a given. But yeah, it's, it's, it's I imagine it's a massive blow for Ryan though. So that's, that's scheme. It's going to leave him frustrated and disappointed because he's got to fill two big holes in his team. I'm not sure it is a big blow, to be honest. I think Daniel Johnson has been a great servant for Preston over, you know, so many years now. But I think his best days are behind him and Preston could probably do better. Yeah, I agree with that. But in terms of his experience as well and just needing to actually now having to go out and find replacements for Daniel Johnson and Josh Onimer. Two technical players who fit into the style. Um, that's where I think it lends a, a blow because even if Daniel Johnson signed a new two-year deal, it means he doesn't have to go out and find players of a similar technical level to them to fit into his style of play, which is progressive passing. Um, there's a, a you know, huge lean, uh, huge lean on that. So for me, that's where I find it a, um, to be a blow. I do agree with you that. He's Best days are probably behind it, but as I say, just the need to now go out and recruit two players, as we know, Preston don't like to spend too much either. Just leaves it, it just leaves a significant gap in their squad uh, in terms of the profile of player they need to go out and recruit. Meanwhile, Josh Onomar will also leave Preston when his deal expires. Sunderland have completed the signing of PSV defender Jensen Sielt for an undisclosed fee, the 20 year old who has signed a five year contract. Um, I won't pretend to know much about this lad. Only played one game for PSV last season. So there isn't a lot for us to go off. All I can tell you is Sunderland have a very good record of getting young players in who are actually quite good. So we'll wait and see. Chidozi Ogbeni won't be joining a championship side this summer. The forward has gone to Luton with his Rotherham contract expiring. We've known he's going to be going for a few months now, Justin. But it's still a big gap for Rotherham to fill that into it is. And I'll point out as well that I know Declan Rice has been the transfer saga of the summer, but this has been a very, very close one. Ogbeni deciding his next his next, uh, his next team has been one that's been incredible, incredible rollercoaster. Team, team after team linked with him, which just goes to show how um, how much he's come on in the last couple of years for a lot of teams to be, to be linked with him. And obviously there's the Sheffield Wednesday linked uh, and whatnot. But now he's got the chance to play in the Premier League, which is big for him. But yeah, as you say, from a Rotherham perspective, again, to, to, to fill that gap of a player who was so influential for you last season takes I wouldn't say it takes a lot of money because they've shown him recruitment in the past that they can they can pick out these gems but it's a it's a huge player to replace and it does just put Rotherham on the back foot and it does weaken their squad significantly as well um, but as I say if they can repeat those um, those habits in, in the January transfer window really good January transfer window if they can repeat those habits this summer then they'll be fine but it's a, it's, a, it's a big if at the moment. So, yeah, big big player to lose, but um, we've seen Rotherham replace him in the past. It's just getting it right, which is the hardest thing to do. Well, he gave Rotherham a bit of flair and quality, didn't they? And they were always going to struggle last season and be up against it in plenty of games. So they had to be robust and difficult to break down. He was their main avenue for hurting the opposition when they were in the final third and you know had to make the most of that attack because they were on the back foot in so many games so the question is now who's going to be that player for them next season Ogbeni's gone there's no Tarek Fosu no Jordan Hugo you've got to remember Rotherham are looking much weaker going forwards now compared to how they were at the end of last season so I mean of course the transfer window is still open and you know there's still a long time left I'm sure they'll bring in additions will they be as good as what they had when the season did end I'm not sure Ogbeni is going to be particularly difficult to replace yeah I'll point out that Hugo's I think he signed a three-year deal when he joined so he's he's still going to be there but there's something to build around I thought he was on yeah yeah Yeah, it's permanent yeah he's he's permanent he's he's going to be there for, for a while but there's something to build around isn't there so there's mm. there's a there's a there's a point there. They're, for, st- they're still missing Atlanta. a bit of flair, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. But 
there's a there's a big lump in the box and you need to build players around him and I think in terms of profile of player it does make it a little bit easier it's just about getting balls and getting deliveries in and I guess with Ogbeni and Fosu and players like that you had that um, so it's about replacing them and as I say it's a difficult thing to do and um, as you pointed out it does, it does leave him weaker yeah definitely does Timo Puki has gone to Minnesota United in the MLS after leaving Norwich it's quite sad that he's gone from the championship now Justin Hill feels a bit real um, <laughs> Bristol City manager Nigel Pearson says he expects midfielder Alex Scott to be at the club when the new season starts he told BBC Radio Bristol he'll be here and that's how I approach the situation we know that a number of Premier League clubs have been monitoring him but so what nobody has yet put a bid in I'll still be very surprised if he's there beyond the window closing Justin but it would be nice for him to make a cameo at the beginning of the season I suppose <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting. Again, a potential another transfer saga brewing. I don't know whether it's a big blow for Bristol City or not, whether he stays at them. I, I'd, I'd like to think that getting 15, 20, 25 million pounds for him is probably the best next step for, for him, Alex Scott, and Bristol City because then Bristol City can reinvest in that squad. They've had a really good transfer window so far, and I think to make some serious movements and move up the table, they need to spend a little bit of money. Maybe that Scott money would have been a huge, huge help. So, I don't know where I sit on it being a good thing for Bristol City or not. Obviously, they retain a very talented player, but at the same time, it's a good time. It's a good time to sell him after such a you know productive season last season. So, yeah, I mean, if he's still there past past the end of the transfer window, fair play, good job there, Bristol City. But at the same time, the, the money's good as well. Yeah, I'm not sure it will be good job Bristol City. I think it would just be more of a case that no one's actually come in for him, which would be surprising considering yeah. how talented a boy he is. But maybe the asking price is putting them off. Don't know. Um, that's your transfer news all rounded up then, ladies and gentlemen. Anything that happens past this point, we'll discuss in next Thursday's episode. But we have got a few more newsy bits to go through and we'll start with managers. Sheffield Wednesday's search for a new one is well underway after the departure of Darren Moore a couple of weeks ago. Numerous managers have been linked. Footy Insider says Dean Smith has opened talks over the role, while reports in Italy have linked former Fiorentina boss Giuseppe Iacchini with the job. Uh, we, we've had plenty to say about Dean Smith after what was a, undoubtedly a bad season with Norwich last season. However, I think him going to a club like Sheffield Wednesday, where the expectation is lower, unless you're Chancery, that could be... <laughs> A good thing for him. Now, you know, Norwich was bad, wasn't it? There's no denying that. But I don't think that's completely down to him. The expectations probably didn't match the quality of the squad. Plus, they're a club going in the wrong direction because of the now-departing sporting director. Villa, you could make an argument that he did really well there, taking them from the Championship to mid-table Premier League. You could also argue that he had a lot of backing in that time as well. Mm -hmm. So he kind of met the minimum of expectations. I don't think Dean Smith is a bad manager, though. I just don't think he should be going to a club where the expectations are that high as, say, a Leicester, for example, who he had been linked with uh, before Maresca was appointed there. He did a good job at Brentford at Sheffield Wednesday, uh, Brentford and Walsall, sorry, beforehand. So I think he would suit Wednesday and Wednesday would suit him. So I think that makes sense. What do you think? I completely agree with you. I think it's almost impossible to judge him over the last five years because at Aston Villa, he inherited an incredibly gifted squad, packed full of talent that had a lot of money behind it. And then in the Premier League, they had a lot more money put behind it. And he delivered, well, Premier League safety, I guess. Um, and obviously at Norwich, again, really hard to judge him because he, he went there straight after leaving Villa. So he didn't really have that time where managers go out and fly and learn about themselves and and improve as you know as managers do um and obviously they, they, they were relegated but I think it was an inevitability there with with Norwich being relegated and then the championship really good start and then flat after that uh September period and then at Leicester obviously only a handful of games so I find it impossible to judge him over the last five years but I do agree with you I don't think he's a bad manager I think he's he's spell at Warsaw and Brentford show that he's he's got potential he's got the credentials to to be a good championship manager so it's about finding the right club I just don't think he's picked the right club um, I don't think Norwich was the right club for him Leicester was just a, a gap wasn't it a, a gap they needed filling um, so I do think Wednesday would be a good appointment for Dean Smith and Dean Smith would be good for Sheffield Wednesday um, so I completely agree with you and he has a chance to build a squad from from his 
point of view from his in, in his mould, which I don't think he's had a chance to do that maybe since Brentford. But again, Brentford's recruitment was was massively different. So this might be Dean Smith's first real opportunity to put his stamp on a team in a championship. Maybe. I think it's kind of resembling the when Steve Bruce was appointed at Sheffield Wednesday, wasn't he? Yeah, Steve maybe. Bruce has, for years now, been at clubs where the expectations are really high. And then he went to Sheffield Wednesday where that wasn't really the case and did a really good job in a short spell of a few months before yeah. Newcastle nicked him. Dean Smith could be the same situation there. So I, I think it would be a sensible appointment. I've seen a few of the other names linked. <laughs> Not sure about Paul Lintz, for example. And <laughs> so I think Dean Smith would be a really sensible appointment for Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Leeds are still yet to appoint a new manager. Journalist Alan Nixon says a decision was due last Friday with Daniel Farker said to be the front runner. I'm assuming the delay is down to the takeover, which is still subject to EFL approval, but could prove costly the longer it goes on, couldn't it, Justin? It feels yeah. like it's imminent, but if it still is being dragged out in, I don't know, maybe even two weeks' time, then that could be a big blow, couldn't it? I would almost go as far as say it's you know, fairly catastrophic to the chances of getting promoted straight out of the championship. I know Nick Hammond um, has been appointed behind the scenes to run the club in the interim period of this takeover period. Um, so that helps things go along a little bit. Uh, run the club from a footballing side, that is. Um, that does help things a little bit, but they need to get a manager in place. Teams are coming back to, to pre-season training this week and next week. They do not have a manager in place for that period is quite bonkers and again you need to recruit players and Leeds have been a bit slow doing that for various reasons as we know um, so Leeds they're now on the back foot they're now chasing similar to Leicester but Leicester are making up ground so are Southampton so Leeds are, Leeds are falling behind and are falling behind a lot of teams as well in the Championship who are already settled so yeah I'm a little bit uncomfortable with, with things at the moment with Leeds they, it needs to be sorted. They need to get things in place. I know takeovers delay those those things, but we've seen with uh, Huddersfield, for example, Kevin Nargo saying, Neil Warnock, can you come in? Takeover's going to get done in, in this amount of time. Can you come in? We need you for this interim period um, over the next year. Can you do that? They did that, sorted it, organised, great. Where is it from, from Leeds' side? Um, I'm not seeing it. And yeah, as I say, quite worried. Yeah, I mean, the takeover could be done tomorrow and then Daniel Farker gets appointed tomorrow yeah, as well. True. So it, it, we don't really know how far along this whole thing is going to be, but it seems to be imminent. The only other thing I would say is that it's quite the contra contrast going from Sam Allardyce to Daniel Farker in terms of styles of play. So they could do with a bit of time in that respect as well to get used to how Farker wants to play. But the longer this goes on, it's only going to be more of a detriment to Leeds, without a doubt. Cardiff will be allowed to pay fees for players in the January 2024 window after the length of their EFL transfer embargo was reduced. They were given the embargo after late payment of the transfer fee for Emiliano Salah. They were banned from paying fees or four players until next summer, but the embargo has now been cut by one window. Cardiff say they're extremely pleased with the decision. Not sure about how much of a difference this will actually make, Justin, because I can't foresee them spending a shed load in January anyway with their financial situation, although they might if they're in the bottom three come in the new year, I suppose. But what, what do you think? No, I agree with you. Them, them not being allowed to sign players for fees is probably a good thing. Um, I know Callum Robinson was brought in last season for a, for a couple of million pounds, but their business over the last couple of years hasn't been great. And uh, with a new manager in charge, there's always a little bit of a um, uh, the you know, potential to splurge uh, on players that might not be quite good enough. So, yeah, maybe a good thing that it's, it's allowing them to maybe think a little bit more uh, prudently and shrewdly in terms of their recruitment. So, yeah, I wasn't... Cardiff were never going to spend big, so that's just that's just where, they, where they're at. It's, as I say, it's a, it's a good thing, I think, that they're not being allowed to spend on fees. While we're on Cardiff, actually, remember how they were going on about making this big, exciting signing and they were going to have a window which would lead to all their season tickets selling out? Well, nothing yet. We wait with bated breath to see whether they were telling the truth or not on that one. Let's head down the M4 to Swansea, who have named Luton Chief Operating Officer Paul Watson as their new sporting director. He's been at Luton since 2018 and will have responsibility for all football operations at Swansea with a particular focus on player recruitment. 
seems quite exciting. Justin Luton were amazing at recruiting on a budget. Swansea need to be a bit tighter with their purse strings, don't they? So he seems like the ideal man for the job. He does. I can't really keep up with what's going on behind the scenes at Swansea at the moment, but this is a, a shrewd move. Um, I think if you're getting any person in an operating uh, department at Luton Town, if you're able to attract them, then you've done a really good job because, as I say, Luton punching above their weight for a long time. Um, and that's down to philosophy and mentality from the, from the inside, from those that are running the club behind the scenes. And as I say, if you can attract players, uh, players, uh, staff from that mould, you've done it. You've done a good job. So yeah, this this it's a good direction for Swansea, and they they desperately need a little bit more structure and a little bit more help with the recruitment because it has been frustrating to say the very least. So hopefully, this is a a step in the right direction for them over the next couple of years. And finally, Southampton have appointed Phil Parsons as their new chief exec. Parsons joins from technology company Dyson, where he spent 15 years in a number of senior leadership roles. Let's see how good he is at vacuuming up talent, Justin. Now it's time for Scott High or Ryan Lowe. This is the game where I'm going to give Justin three questions and four options. All he has to do is rank them in order from highest to lowest. Firstly... Uh, Justin, I'm going to give you four former championship players. I want you to rank them on the number of England caps they currently have. Those players are Jude Bellingham. Feel free to write these down. You're going to regret it if you don't write them down. Jude Bellingham, Jamie Vardy, Calvin Phillips and Leighton Baines. Leighton Baines. Always forget he played in the championship, but what a player. Baines. Incredible. Baines, Phillips, Vardy, Bellingham. Um, I'm going to go Baines first. What top? Top, yes. Oh, actually, cool. No, yeah, Leighton Baines top. Um, I'll go with Jamie Vardy second. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, then Phillips, then Bellingham. You don't think you're underestimating how many games Bellingham's played? He's been a regular now for a few years. He has, but I think Phillips has been just as regular and tactically Gareth Southgate relies so heavily on him, almost too much. Um, and I think that might edge him over Bellingham. We should have thought of that a bit more because he edges him over Vardy as well. Uh, Leighton Baines is top with 30. Calvin Phillips has 27. Jamie Vardy has 26. Jude Bellingham has 24. So just the two in the wrong place there, Vardy and Phillips. By the way, it's Jude Bellingham's birthday today. Happy birthday, Jude. 20 years old. Still eligible to win PFA Young Player of the Year for another four years. Uh, Which just goes to show how (laughs) ridiculous it is that he's a... (laughs) <laughs> that he's still this young and yet so fucking good. Um, <laughs> next up, the countries which have been represented the most times by different players in the championship. Those countries are Chile, Egypt, Romania and Uruguay. Now, this is only counting players who have made an appearance in the championship. And if a player has been capped at international level, the country he's played for is counted. If a player has not been capped at international level, his country of birth is used, except for those who are born abroad and moved at a young age. So those countries, again, were Chile, Egypt, Romania, Uruguay. Frustratingly, I can't think of any Uruguayans who have played in the championship. Hmm. They've had such a good squad over the last <laughs> 13 years. It's, it's rarely changed. Um, even Egypt, I'm struggling. I can only think of Sam Morsey. Mm. And uh, Ahmad Hagazi, but... Uh, I'll go with Chile first. Top. Top, yeah. you got Nunez and Bertrand Diaz in recent seasons. That's going to help massively. Then I'll go Romania. Okay. Then I'll go Egypt, then Uruguay. No, you've completely butchered that. Uh, Romania were top with nine. Uruguay was second with eight. Egypt, seven. And Chile were bottom with five. Who's who's Uruguay and played in the championship? Do you want me to find out? Let me uh, just get the list up again. Um, The first player I thought of was Poirier. Um, Gus Poirier's son, if I can't remember his name. Diego. Now. Diego. He's a, he's a bodybuilder now. Incredible. He's massive. Is he? 
Yeah. How about that? Uh, the players you were looking for, Abel Hernandez, Gaston oh. Ramirez, Christian Stuani, oh. Diego yeah. Arismendi, Carlos de Pena, um, Javier Cheventon. I have no idea who that is, but he played for Incredible. I completely forgot he existed. And Leandro Rodriguez as well. He played for Brentford twice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there are a few big names you forgot there. But, um, fair enough. Yeah, a fair few Uruguayans in there. Um, final one then, Justin. Rank these clubs on who had the highest average home attendance in the championship last season. Bristol City, Coventry City, Cardiff City, Stoke City. All the cities. I mean, other than Coventry, you've got three teams there. Just, I imagine the supporters can get a little bit disillusioned with the team at times. So it's quite, <laughs> quite hard to to tell. Um, so we've got Cov, Card, Stoke, Stock, and Bristol. <laughs> so I'm going to go Cov top. Okay. Nervous about that one. Uh, and then I'm going to go Bristol City. Mm-hmm. Then Stoke. Then Cardiff. You got two the wrong way around again. You're so close. So, so close. Justin Coventry were top 23,338. Stoke was second, 20,570. Bristol City were third, 20,374. And then Cardiff were bottom, 19,455. I think the worst thing is, I mean, everyone was, was sitting in the top tier at the 365 because the, the, the bottom... Towards the bottom rows, they look really empty. It's no disrespect. The team's been really crap for a couple of years. I'm not surprised people aren't flooding to the stadium there. Um, so, yeah, no, that is surprising. surprising. I was surprised that Coventry were that far ahead. I know they had a couple of 30,000s last season, but I didn't think they'd be, you know, nearly 3,000, a full 3,000 ahead of mm. Stoke. Um but there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That has been Scott High or Ryan Lowe. Uh, no success for Justin this time around, but we look forward to playing that again next week. Uh, that will be our news roundup, which happens next Thursday. But before that, on Sunday, you have a monumental episode coming your way, ladies and gentlemen. It's part two of our countdown of the top 20 championship players of all time. We'll be revealing our top 10. It's already been a bit contentious, our 20 to 11 uh, rankings. So you can listen back to that. That was last Sunday. And then our top 10 is revealed this coming Sunday. So we look forward to seeing you then. But otherwise, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big, 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 big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.